new series this evening on the life of Moses. Okay, his birth date would be somewhere around 1527 BC. Okay, this would be on a calculation of the number of years that he lived and what happened in those years in the time frame in history as well. Moses' life can actually be split up into three sections of 40 years each. Okay, the first 40 is in Pharaoh's household. The next 40 is uh, looking after sheep. And then the third 40 is looking after the children of Israel, taking them through the wilderness into the promised land. So if you notice, Moses' life has a lot of history behind it. So let's first of all start off by asking ourselves the question, why should we study the life of Moses? Why should we study the life of Moses? Because you know, if you really look at his life, you can say that he is the greatest man in the Old Testament. Yes, Abraham was there, great guy. David was there, a great person. Both were great men in God's plan. But Moses was even greater because he led the children of Israel out of slavery in Egypt. He gave them the books of the law. He built the tabernacle according to the plan that God gave to him. He wrote the first five books of the Bible. And throughout, if you notice, you know, when, every time that we look into the New Testament and understand the, the Old Testament, we speak about how God brought the children of Israel out of Egypt which is again a symbol in the New Testament of how God brought us out of our slavery to sin and brought us into life with him. So a lot of principles we can pick up as we study the life of Moses. He's indeed a great example. We can look at the whole series on leadership lessons from Moses. That itself is an entire new, and a study altogether. But first of all, let's look at the birth of Moses. Let's look at the birth of Moses. It is interesting when you ask an, uh, uh, a young child, maybe someone who is say in the seven-year-old uh, bracket, if you ask him or her what is your age, they would always add one more year and they would say, I'm going to be eight, you know, or if they are nine, I'm going to be ten, you know. With great pride, they're looking forward to becoming older. But as people grow older, if someone is in their you know, 39 or 49, you know, they wouldn't say, I'm going to be 40 or I'm going to be 50 or I'm going to be 60. As you grow older, you want to still remain young. But as you are young, you want to have dreams of becoming big. So when you're thinking of you know, Moses' birth, we must remember that there's a right timing. There's a right timing. Maybe. You know, these last two years, we have been looking at the pandemic and you may have been wondering, why was I born during this period? Two years of my life has you know, gone down the drain. If only I was born a little earlier or a little later, maybe, you know, you may have had those thoughts you know, in your mind. But remember, each one of us is born according to God's timing at just the right time at just the right time. Now, things were not really smooth when Moses was born. You remember, you know, his, uh, the time that he was living in, it was a difficult time and it was also a very dangerous time. 
Why? Because Pharaoh had made the decree that all male babies should be thrown into the river so that they die. Either they are eaten up by crocodiles or they drown and die. That was Pharaoh who had decided that. Plus also, if you notice, you know, the children of Israel, when we looked at the study of you know, Joseph, we found that during that time, the Pharaoh was a good guy. But then the Bible tells us when that Pharaoh died, the next guy who came along did not know Joseph. And as a result, the numbers had grown of the children of Israel in the land of Egypt. Now they were becoming too big and this new Pharaoh did not like that. And as a result, he made them slaves for his all his construction work. And life was really becoming very, very tough for them. Now, when you're looking at this scenario and you're looking at what is happening in our world today, now we may look at the events and say, hey, these are bad times. These are dangerous times. And even as we study this passage, this chapter this evening, I want you to look at not the situation, but on the God who is behind that situation, the God who is still in control. So when we are thinking about you being born at the right time, at the you know, perfect timing of God, we must also learn to see the unseen hand of God behind us, guiding us each step of the way. If we can see the unseen hand, life becomes interesting. Life is not a tension. Life is not a worry. I don't know what's going to happen. There's so much of chaos all around. But if you can know the unseen hand of God, that God is at work, it is God's timing, then we can patiently and, and uh, anticipate what God is going to do. So let's start off with some basic principles, okay? Basic principles that we can learn from the birth of uh, Moses. Number one, the first principle is that God has made you for a reason, for a reason. Exodus chapter 2 and verse 2 tells us that when his parents saw him, they saw that he was a fine child. You know, some translations may say that he was a beautiful child. Some translations will say that maybe he was a special child. Okay. Now, as parents, they may look at their children and say, each child is special. Now, this is what I want you to pick up from here, that God, when he looks at you, don't look at yourself. Look at how God views you. When God views you, he sees you as special. Now, isn't that something great? God has made you for a reason and he calls you as a special person. If you notice the psalmist in Psalm 139 tells us this, you know, God, you think about me all the time. You planned all my days. You saw me even before I was born. God looks at you. God looks at you and says, hey, you are my special child. Even before we were born, even before God formed our, in our, us, in our, even before we were in the womb, God says, so-and-so is my special person. Now, that is something that we must pick up from this. The parents saw this. God also saw this because God created Moses at this particular juncture, at just the right time. Terrible circumstances all around, isn't it? But still, at just the right time, God created Moses for his purpose. Okay, And that is something that we must definitely learn from here. I remember I mentioned to you, 
Pharaoh was very upset with the increase of the number, the population size of the Israelites and put them to hard task. First, he said, okay, you know, the Hebrew midwives, he said, uh, and if a, a male child is going to be born, kill the child. If it's a girl, let her live. But the Hebrew midwives honored the Lord and they allowed the child to live, even if it was a male child. They came up with their reasons for that. But when Pharaoh saw this, he says, okay, if this is the, what you're saying, then let us make sure, you know, even after the child is born, make sure that you kill all the male child. Now, it was definitely a very, very dangerous position. But in this scenario, if you notice, what happens in chapter 2, verse 1 says, Now a man of the house of Levi married a Levite woman, and she became pregnant and gave birth to a son gave birth to a son. Now remember, this was not the first child, okay? Before him was Aaron and Miriam, okay? So the third child, okay? Now the third child, they know the situation. The parents know what is the scenario around it, but still by faith, you know, knowing that God had a plan for Moses, they were willing to have him born into this world, okay? Now, what happens after the child is born? In Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 23, we find, By faith Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents. Three months by his parents. They knew that he was a special child. They knew that there was a purpose for which God had given them this child. It was not an accident, you know. It was not a chance, you know, that there was definitely a purpose that God had in mind. Now, remember, no child is born by accident. You know, sometimes a person may say, okay, first child, second child, then the third child. You know, they may say, okay, was it by fluke? Was it by accident? You know, they didn't plan for it. No, no, no child is born by accident. God has a definite purpose. God has a definite plan. And the more we understand this truth, that we matter to God, that we matter to God, that we are born for a reason, then through all the tough situations of life, through the situations which seem very you know, difficult, very dangerous, if you can remember this particular truth, that we are here for a reason. God has a plan and purpose for our lives. That is what will take us through. Now, the devil will come around and say, look here, things are not working out. Things are in a mess. You know? I don't think you, know, you should continue with life. You know? That is why, especially during these days, a lot of young people commit suicide. Why? Because they feel frustrated with life. They feel that life has no purpose, no meaning, no reason. But if you remember this important truth, that God has created you for a purpose. You're not by chance. You're not by an accident. God had a plan and purpose for you even before you were born. And if we have this uh, before us, then when we go through the struggles of life, we can still affirm, I don't know how this is going to work out, Lord, but I know that you are in charge and you have a reason for all this. You will take me through and you can hold on to him. Secondly, God works to accomplish his plan for you. Not only does he have a reason for your life, but he also is actively involved in fulfilling his plan for your life. God is working. 
he didn't create you and says, okay, let me see how this person is going to fulfill his purpose, you know, my purpose for his life. No, no. God is actively working as well. Sometimes it may be we don't even see his hand working. But remember, he is always working. And that's the important truth. If you notice in these verses, you know, when uh, from verse 3 onwards, you right till the end, uh, until verse uh, 10, you find all that took place. But in all that situation, the word God is never mentioned. But it was God who was actually looking after Moses. Two months of age, thrown into the Nile River with you know, in just a little basket. God's hand was upon him. Okay. Now remember, there was no rudder in that little basket. You know, there is you know, no sail. There is no direction. There is no way that the little boy could reach out his arm outside the basket and maybe paddle himself to go somewhere. Wherever the basket will go with the flow, it would go. It may seem as if it's directionless. It may seem we don't know what's going to happen. But see the hand of God behind all this. And that's what I want you to focus your attention on this evening. When you look at your life this evening, it may appear as if it has no sail. It may appear as if you know, there's no direction. It's just floating with the tide. But remember, God is working. God is working even through all this. Think about how God was working in Moses' life at this particular stage. Remember, God was the one who brought Pharaoh's daughter to that particular river at just the right time. Two hours later, or maybe two hours earlier, she may have not seen this floating basket. God was the one who providentially caused the uh, now, uh, person, the Pharaoh's daughter, to see this floating basket, not only to come at the right time, but also to take, take notice of this basket. God was the one also who caused her to look in this direction, pay attention, and somehow at just the right moment when she looked, the baby cried, isn't it? And that definitely would have worked on Pharaoh's daughter's heart. Maybe the daughter may not have been as kindly disposed to the baby had he not cried. But somehow the crying baby, if you notice, stirred the compassion in her heart. Who did all this? It was God. And then right along you find Miriam standing over there and volunteering the services of her mother okay, to look after this little baby. Because remember, Two months old, if she takes the baby home, they would definitely suspect. You know, they would definitely say, hey, you picked up this you know, Hebrew child. But when the child is a little older, you know, then they may not be able to do something. You know, and then they may be able to say, okay, you know, we will look after him. Now, whatever may be the reason, she now says, okay, you know, hand over the child to the mother and says, you look after him. And once you have finished nursing him, then you bring him along. Now, the word God is not mentioned whatsoever in all these incidents that took place. But remember, God is in charge. Now, you may have had a tough upbringing. Maybe your parents were not together. Or maybe your parents had constant conflicts. Or maybe you were you know, abandoned. Or maybe you, know, you didn't feel loved by your parents. Whatever it is. Remember, God is still working 
behind the scenes. God is still working behind the scenes. Learn to see God's hand. Learn to see God's hand. Now, that does not mean that you know, we just sit and say, okay, God is working, let him work. No. What does the mother do? She made that basket, isn't it? She put the tar down so that it will be waterproof. She did something about it. She made her plans, you know, and but she definitely knew, ultimately, God was the one who was responsible for making things to happen. So you have to make your plans, you know, but in order to work out your plans, remember, God is the one who has to work in us and through us. So God is working. See his hand, okay? First of all, we said God has a reason for your living. Secondly, we are saying that God is also actively involved in accomplishing his plan. Learn to see how God is working, not just in the positive things, but in the negative things. You know? Here is this little baby thrown into the river, but God is at work. God is at work. Learn to see God's fingerprints in your life. Thirdly, God prepares you for your purpose. God prepares you for your purpose. Verse 10 speaks about how after Moses had grown up, you know, then you find that you know, uh, according to the agreement, Moses' mother brings you know, Moses to uh, Pharaoh's daughter. And this is where we read that she named him Moses, saying, I drew him out of the water. Think for a moment, the heart of the mother. The mother was the one who bore the child. Okay. And now she has to hand over that child to Pharaoh's daughter, and she is the one who names him. Okay, parents did not even have the uh, sort of power to name the child. You know? Handed over now to Pharaoh's daughter, and she is the one who names him and says, "I drew him out of the water." Now she tries to take the credit for it, but no problem. God is at work. God is preparing Moses for a particular purpose, a particular reason. Now, if you were a little baby Moses who has grown up a little now, who has gone uh, maybe attached to your parents and your siblings, and now it is time for you to leave your home, leave your home and now go to Pharaoh's house, what would your feelings have been? Maybe, you know, you're feeling afraid, you're going from a small town to a big town, Maybe you're going from a small house to now such a big palace. You know? And when you're there in that big palatial you know, house, there would have definitely been times when Moses would have been feeling very, very lonely. Maybe there would have been times then he would have wept time and time again to say, why have I come here? I had a good life. My brother and my sister, we had a good time together. My parents were there. I enjoyed my life together with them. You know, why did God bring me over here? You know? But remember, Moses' parents were godly people. And even when they are in his house, they have been preparing him for that. And God is the one who allowed him to stay for that particular period so that he will be ground up in the Hebrew faith, you know. He will be ground up in the Hebrew faith. God gives us exposures so that our foundations are becoming strong. So that when we leave the nest, as it were, when we maybe you're studying now, you're a student, when you're finishing your studies, you have to go for a job somewhere else, or you have to go for your professional course somewhere else. 
the foundation that has been laid when you are young would help you in your future just as much as it helped Moses. Also, God is working in Moses' life even when he is in Pharaoh's household. Okay, Every mayor writes this interesting thought. He says, the mother's heart must have suffered bitterly as she let her boy go into the unknown world within the great palace gate. And very lonely must the little household have felt when the last kisses had been exchanged, the last instruction given, and the last prayer offered. What a crowd of tender thoughts, curious speculations, and eager yearnings must have followed the little nursling of the Hebrew home as his mother took him and brought him to Pharaoh's daughter and he became her son. I want you to feel the uh, emotions at this particular juncture. Not easy for the parents, not easy for Moses, but God was preparing Moses for a purpose. Now, there will be definitely a lot of estrangements or, you know, moving out of relationships. It won't be easy, but God prepares us for a particular purpose, a particular purpose. What is happening in uh, Pharaoh's household? You, know, you find in Acts chapter 7, you know, verses 20 to 22, you know, it's, it's a parallel passage to this particular passage. There you find what happened during those years, you know, the 40 years that he is you know, spending in uh, Pharaoh's household. He grew up in Egyptian wisdom, the Bible tells us. He grew up in the wisdom of the Egyptians. That was primarily a figure of speech, meaning that somebody had a brilliant mind, a great knowledge, great education. So anybody who was a smart guy, if you were to say, was called as one who had the wisdom of the Egyptians. So Moses was like this. He was instructed by virtue of being in Pharaoh's house. He had all the training. He had to learn the language of the Egyptians. He would have learn sciences, medicine, astronomy, chemistry, theology, philosophy, as well as law. <laughs> okay. All these things he would have learned. And when the Bible says he had the wisdom of the Egyptians, it means he was really a smart guy. He was a smart guy. Now, he is well educated. He has all this learning. How is that learning going to help him? You know, how is God going to use that? God is preparing Moses for a particular reason. He learned all the things that the Egyptians had to offer, isn't it? But how did this help? He became the first historian of Israel. He wrote the history of the world from the time of creation right till the children of Israel coming up to the promised land. He also became a military tactician and led Israel in victorious battle. He became an able administrator and was used by God to organize and lead the children of Israel. He also became a legal scholar. We write, we speak about the first five books of the law. And all this come about because of his learning. Remember, he had studied law. So God is using all this preparation. All that has happened in his past. God is up to that. Now, you may not see God's hand. But stop for a moment and look all that has happened in your life. In the past, God is going to use everything that has taken place for his purpose. He can use your mistakes. He can use your misfires. He can use your regrets. He can use the times when you feel like you're just wandering around and not accomplishing anything. 
He can take the desert of your life and turn it into an oasis. He will work to accomplish his plan in your life. And remember, he works even when we don't see his hand at work. So even this evening, stop for a moment and just thank God to say, God, you have created me for a time like this. You have created me for a reason. You have created me for a purpose. You are fulfilling your purpose. And all that I'm going through each day has a purpose behind it. It's a part of the preparatory phase that you are taking me through. And as a result, let me be a good student. Let me be a good student and learn. Instead of questioning God, let me learn from whatever God is taking me through because I know that he is preparing me for a purpose. Let's move on now to you know, the next stage. In verse 11 onwards, in chapter 2, we read, One day after Moses had grown up, he went out to where his own people were and watched them at their hard labor. This would be around 40 years of age, at 40 years of age. Somewhere during this period, he has seen the side of uh, uh, the Egyptians, Pharaoh's household, He's also remembered his upbringing that he's actually a Hebrew. Okay, He recognizes who he is. In spite of all the glamour that he sees, he knows in his heart of hearts, there's a reason, there's a purpose you know, that God has brought him here. Maybe you know, he would have you know, remembered you know, Joseph's you know, story to say, you, brought for, you thought it was for evil, but God meant it for good. And somewhere along the line, maybe his parents have taught him, you know, who they were, how they landed up there and learned Joseph's story and that may have had an impact upon him. He said, God has kept me here for a purpose. So he remembers all that, okay? He remembers all that, okay? But he does not stop to ask God what is the step that he should do. Exodus tells us what Moses did, but Stephen's sermon in Acts chapter 7 tells us why he did it why he did it. You know, the reason why Acts chapter 7 tells us he decided to. Okay? The Bible doesn't say God sent him to go kill the Egyptian. You know, he decided to. Let's look at that. Okay? The idea that came into his mind. Step 1. It was an idea that was initiated by Moses and not God. By Moses and not God. It entered into his mind to visit his brethren. That's what it says. Acts chapter 7. And verse 23, he remembers who he is. He remembers he's a Jew. He remembers he's a Hebrew. And he's come as a slave here and has grown up. And then somewhere along the line, it strikes him who he is. So he says, let's go take a look at my people. Let's go and take a look at my people. Let's see how they are doing. Let's see how they are doing. So there's a plan that is being formed in his mind. I must do something about it. I must do something about it. Okay. So he decides to act on his own. This is not God telling him. This is an idea that is in his own mind. Verse 11 tells us he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his own brethren. He saw this. And then he comes up with a plan in verse 12. He tells us that he looked this way and that, okay, this way and that. And then he decides, okay, enough is enough, okay, enough is enough. I'm going to kill this guy. Did God tell him to kill him? No. Did God tell him, now is the time that I want you to start the fulfilling my plan for your life? No. 
he took it upon himself. Remember, we have said so far that God has a reason, God has a plan, God has a purpose. He is fulfilling it, he is working it out. But let us not <coughs> take the initiative to step out of God's plan and think that we must give God a helping hand. Because Moses did that, look at the mess that he landed up in, isn't it? If only he had waited, if only he had waited. The second step that he does <coughs> that we see is that this step was energized by his own flesh and not from God. Okay, The Bible says he looked this way and that way. The Bible does not say that he looked up to God, isn't it? That's an important thing. You can look around at the situation and say, say, the right decision that I should do. Maybe the right decision at that particular time would have been, look at this guy must be punished. Look at how he's ill-treating a fellow human being. But he decides to take law into his own hands. Now, it is important that we must do the right things. But doing the right things at the right time, in the right way, according to God's plan, is equally important, isn't it? Now, it may have seemed, hey, this is a right thing. I'm you know, righting the wrong. Here's a wrong that is being committed, injustice being done. I must do something about it. But it was all from his own strength. It was all from his own flesh. And that is the danger even today, even today. When we decide to do something, okay, we are agitated by what's happening around us and say, I must do something. That guy did this, I must do this. But instead of asking God, God, what should you, what you know, should I do according to your plan? If we decide to start off you know, an operation deliverance from our own side, it is only going to land up in a mess. And then what happened? Once he killed him, okay, he had to cover him up, isn't it? Now, once we step out of God's plan, then we fall, make it, uh, make a mess out of it. Then we have to somehow cover it up, isn't it? And covering it up does not really come easy. Maybe Moses was not very good at covering up. He maybe dug a hole very quickly, but maybe that Egyptian's legs were sticking out or the hands were sticking out, you know, and the people noticed that. You know, because the next day when he you know, comes up, when he comes up and says, okay, yesterday I killed this guy, I buried him. Now, I would go around and then my fellow Hebrews will be able to say, hey, he's our hero. Look what he did to this Egyptian who was troubling us and they will welcome him. But that's not really what happened, isn't it? That's the step three that took place. An act leading to confusion and failure. An act leading to confusion and failure. The next day he went over there. Now, he need not have gone there, okay, once he has messed things up, okay. But why did he go there? He thought that that is going to be his stepping stone to popularity, stepping stone to leadership. He took you know, things into his own hand. He says, this is what I'm going to do. The people are going to recognize me. People will give a claim to me. And then I will be the leader. And I will be able to take these guys out of you know, Egypt. But that's not how it happened, isn't it? He could not cover up that one Egyptian. But remember later on, when God delivered the children of Israel from Egypt, God covered up the entire Egyptian army in that sea of water, isn't it? When we are in God's will, God looks after, God looks after. But if we think that we have to do something and then we mess things up, then this is where the step four comes into play. The result of that is very, very unbearable. Verse 14 tells us, you know, 
Moses was afraid and said, surely the matter has become known. First, there was surprise that these guys did not accept him. Then there was confusion. Why did these guys not accept him? Then it became fear because now Pharaoh was trying to kill him as well. Verse 15 of chapter 2 tells us Pharaoh tried to kill Moses because now Pharaoh realizes, hey, this guy was actually a cover-up. He was really a Hebrew at heart. And then I gave him all this time, all my luxury, all my benefits, and now he's turning back and stabbing me in the back. You know, I should do away with him. Pharaoh decides to kill Moses. Think of all the mess that Moses landed up in. If only he had waited for God's time. Even if only he was dependent upon God, things would have been different. But he spends the next, you know, in a years, the remaining of those in the next 40 years, living in the wilderness, looking after sheep. Okay, But think of that in a particular incident. He runs away from Pharaoh's house. Remember in Pharaoh's house, he was like a, you know, a prince. He would have had all the most costly stuff, costly clothing. And now suddenly, he has to run away. Now, how he ran away, whether it was on a horse or a chariot or on a just a plain running. Think of, you know, the hard life now he is going to be exposed to. Running out, you know, barefooted or, you know, with his you know, sandals, whatever. It would have been really a tough life for him. And finally, verse 15 tells us that he settled in the land of Midian and sat down by a well. Here was he, a person, a frightened individual, a disillusioned individual escaping for his very life and maybe sitting down at the well and saying it's all over it's all over i messed up i don't think things will really improve maybe this evening you are in that scenario you are wondering god i thought i could do this i thought i could do that you put your hand here you put your hand there but it didn't work out and your life is in a mess okay two important principles here when the self-life has run its course, we settle in a desert. We settle in a desert. When we are living lives full of our own self to say, I can do this, I can do this, I can do this. Somewhere along the line, your life will be in a mess. It is better to ask God, what should, you know, what do you want to do of my life? Rather than saying, I will do this and I will do that. And then find your life is in a mess. But also remember, when the self-life finally sits down, the well of a new life draws near. You may be sitting down like Moses, saying it's all over. But remember, where is he sitting? He's sitting down near a well. He's sitting down near a well. What does well signify? It's going to be a fresh new lease of life. If you notice, later on you find that you know, some shepherds came along and uh, they God, Moses got up and came to their rescue, watered their flock. And when the girls returned to real their father, he asked them, why have you returned so early today? And then they answered an Egyptian, because that's how he looked like, because he, had, he wore Egyptian clothing. He says, an Egyptian rescued us from the shepherds. He even drew water for us and watered the flock. Where is he? Why did you leave him? Invite him to have something to eat. And then Moses agreed to stay with the man who gave his daughter Zipporah to Moses in marriage okay now a new life is going to start up new life not in pharaoh's household you know but a new life you know in this uh, 
in a median area living life as a shepherd looking after the sheep 40 years of that but remember even those 40 years were preparatory periods what are the lessons that we can learn from moses life this evening number one okay god faithfully keeps his covenant promises through that moses experience we learned those through two principles when the self-life has run its course we settle in a desert and the second one is when the self-life finally sits down the well of a new life draws near moving finally to the last section lessons to be learned number one god faithfully keeps his covenant promises god had promised abraham in genesis chapter 12 and verse 2 that he would make him a great nation remember but abraham had no children abraham had no children and then finally the son of the promise isaac was born and then these children of israel now come into egypt because of the famine and now they are multiplying multiplying over here okay so the lesson that we can learn is that god is keeping his covenant promise god told abraham that i'm going to multiply you you know multiply you when he had no child okay but the multiplication has happened now it took a long time it took a long time but it has happened now so much that even pharaoh is not able to stop abraham's descendants from becoming as numerous as the stars in the sky or the sand on the seashore okay remember this is an important principle god has given us the word you know he is going to keep his covenant promises yes life will be tough it will take a long time but god is one who keeps his promises secondly god faithfully keeps his covenant promises in his way and uh, time and way not our time and way because why god's timing is not our timing god's timing is not our timing after god promised abraham a son at the age of 75 he and sarah didn't have isaac until abraham was 100 years of age and when Abraham died, the only real estate that he had in Canaan was the burial cave that he had bought from the local people. Now it had been 400 years since God had promised Abraham that his descendants would inherit the land of Canaan. And it would be 80 more years until Moses led them out of Egypt and another 40 years before they entered Canaan. And then again, they had to displace the Canaanites who were living there and that took another generation or two now you may say god why don't you do things fast okay but remember god's timing is not our timing and as a result wait for him because his is the very best secondly god's ways are not our ways god's timing is not our timing god's ways are not our ways isaiah 55 8 to 9 tells us for my thoughts are not your thoughts nor are your ways my ways declares the lord for as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Okay. Fred Aldershim, who has written a book on Old Testament history, says he points out that God used the very measure by which Pharaoh tried to exterminate Israel as the means which eventually led to their deliverance. God used the same thing that Pharaoh said, I'm going to destroy. He used the same thing to bring deliverance. If Pharaoh hadn't commanded that the Hebrew boys be thrown into the Nile, 
his daughter would not have rescued Moses and he wouldn't have been trained in all of the wisdom of Egypt, which prepared Moses for his calling. And without Pharaoh's harsh treatment of Israelites, they would have been very comfortable staying in Egypt indefinitely. Why go through the hardship of displacing the Canaanites where life was sweet in Egypt? But God was the one who worked. These ways are very, very different. And I think again, God picked a barren couple and then waited until they were both past childbearing years to give them a son. Then he gave Abraham's son Isaac a wife who couldn't conceive for a long time and then finally had twin sons. Then God rejected the older and picked the younger one. Then when God planned to raise Joseph to second in command in Egypt under Pharaoh, that was the plan of God. What did God do? He put him in prison for the better part of his 20s. Then when God planned to deliver Israel from Pharaoh's bondage, he hardened, not softened Pharaoh's heart. If you notice, his ways are so very different, so very different. Okay, So trust God for that. His timing is not our timing. His ways are not our ways. He doesn't think like we think. You know? So trust God that he has the best. Thirdly, wait expectantly for him. Wait expectantly for him. Okay? You may ask, you know, why is God making me wait? Why is God not answering my prayers? Why is there such a long delay? I've been asking and asking and asking. God doesn't seem to answer. I hope, even as we have done this study, we'll remember that God is answering. He is at work. Number one, wait because God's delays in keeping his covenant promises stem from his patience and mercy. From his patience and mercy. Second Peter chapter 3 and verse 9 tells us, The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. God says he's coming back. Some people say 2,000 years you have been talking about he's coming back, he's coming back. You know? Why is there so much of a delay? Look at all that is happening around. Why isn't he coming back soon? The scripture is saying he's patient. He does not want anyone to perish. And as a result, he is waiting. His covenant promises come because of his patience and mercy. Secondly, wait on God even though it often involves increasing tri and, uh, trials while you wait, while you wait. Okay. Now, as they were waiting for their deliverance, the children of Israel, you know, remember this Pharaoh is a tough guy. You know, work is becoming harder and harder. And what is happening during this period? Male child, two months old, are all being killed, okay, are all being killed. Maybe some were being spared by the midwives, but many are being killed. Many lost their newborn sons, okay. Now you may say, why didn't God protect all these people? Why did God allow all those individuals to die, okay? Remember, he doesn't put, you know, always put a shield around you to protect you from all trials, okay. But often the trials increase while you wait, while you wait. It doesn't mean that as you are waiting, things will be rosy. Things may become more and more tougher. But don't worry, because God is still in charge. Why? Third principle of waiting. Wait because God is silently working behind the scenes as his people go through trials. Even though God's name is not mentioned in this passage in chapter 2, we know God was at work. God was at work, isn't it? Even in the book of Esther, the word God does not come at all. But God was at work. God was at work. So, 
whatever you may see around you, it may seem so negative, you know, it may seem as if so many people are dying or so many people are having calamities or so many people are having failures. You may look into your own life and say, all this is happening, what is God doing? No, wait, because God is silently working behind the scenes, you know. And fourthly, wait, because God uses these increasing trials to uh, prepare us to appreciate his deliverance when it comes to appreciate his deliverance when it comes. If Israel had been content in Egypt, they wouldn't have been open to going to Canaan in fulfillment of God's promise to Abraham. If life is sweet, then we don't see our need for a savior or cry out to him for salvation. But it is during the difficult times, it is during the difficult times, during the trials that we go through, that we can hold on to God and also are longing for his coming and to go and live with him in heaven forever becomes even more and more stronger. So that when it comes, that's a greater appreciation. Or even physically here on earth, when God delivers us through a particular tough spot, we are able to appreciate it. So when you go through the hard times of life, look at this passage and see how God was with Moses. His hand was, be, was with him. God created Moses for a reason, prepared him for a purpose and fulfilled that purpose. And the same God of Moses is our God as well. And he is creating, he has created us for a purpose. He looks at us even this evening and says, you are my special son, you are my special daughter. I have a plan and purpose for you. The question would be, would you be able to recognize that purpose? Would you be able to say, God, I thank you that you are my God. I thank you that you have a purpose for me. I don't see how these things that are happening to me will accomplish your purpose, but you are telling me this evening that you have a purpose and I want to hold on to you. If this is your prayer this evening, life will become different for you as it became for Moses. Moses was not abandoned in the river Nile. God picked him up and God can also pick you up see his unseen hand, look for God's fingerprints in the negative things of life so that you can see God fulfilling his purpose in your life. Let's bow our heads in prayer together.